that we all have the same desire, which is to see the kingdom of Jesus truly uh, clothe the earth as the waters clothe the sea and see his, his um, reign alive and well in our world. And uh, what I want to share with you this evening and probably next Wednesday as well is I want to look at that theme about how Jesus' birth is the birth of the Son of David. So the message tonight, I'm titling this, The Birth of the King, the Son of David. The Birth of the King, the Son of David. And this is a theme, you know, um, Matthew and Luke are the two gospel writers who, of course, record the story of Christmas. And in both of their narratives, the idea of Jesus being the descendant of David is something that appears again and again, multiple times in each of their narratives. And so we're going to look at that this evening. Uh, next Wednesday, what we'll probably look at is how uh, the birth of the king, the son of David, we'll probably look at how uh, Jesus is uh, the new Solomon who builds his church, just as Solomon built the temple as the son of David, so Jesus builds the greater temple, the church. And what I want to look at uh, to begin with is a promise that God made to David. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, this is, in fact, God's longest speech in the Bible for about 500 years. In fact, he had not given this long of a speech since the time of Moses, which was 500 years prior to the time of David. Well, now, the reason God has something, uh, so much to say when he's speaking to David is because he's setting up really a new covenant in the world, and he's, he's making a covenant with the king that he has chosen, a king named David. And this is what he says. This is the heart of the covenant that God makes with David. He says this in 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. He says to David, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, meaning, you know, he's lying in the tomb, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Okay, this is a unilateral promise from God to David. Look what he goes on to say in verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Okay? So here's a promise. This is about 1000 BC. Okay? So a thousand years before Jesus is born, God promises to King David that he will set up his seed and that his kingdom would be established forever and forever. Now, the reason this is God's longest speech since Mount Sinai 500 years earlier is because God is saying something that is very important and something that is very significant. God is making clear promises by an oath to David. And um, not only is he really reiterating the promises that he had made to Abraham a thousand years earlier, that through Abraham's seed, all the world would be blessed. But in fact, he's showing us that this seed of Abraham would also be a king. He would be a king. And this uh, promise that God gave to David is something that is reiterated over and over again throughout the rest of the Old Testament. 
You see it multiple times in the book of Psalms. You see it multiple times through Israel's prophets. And I just want to read to you, for instance, what one of the Psalms says about this promise God gave to David. It says this in Psalm 132, verse 11. The Lord, Yahweh, has sworn in truth to David. He will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony, which I shall teach them, their sons shall sit upon your throne forevermore. Now, if you go on and you read the story from 2 Samuel 7 forward, what you realize is that David's sons had a roller coaster of up and down moments. Some of them were faithful sons, other of them were wicked sons. His first son that took over after him, Solomon, and reigned for 40 years, he was one of the, the better sons. We'll talk about him more uh, next Sunday. But at the end of his life, he became morally depraved. Um, in fact, uh, he became so morally depraved that he began to set up altars for all the gods of his foreign wives in Jerusalem, and he began to burn, burn incense to them. And so that meant trouble for their nation. In fact, look what it says in 1 Kings 11, verse 11. Therefore, Yahweh said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days, for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, his son was Rehoboam, and it was split between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Verse 13, However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son, Rehoboam, for the sake of my servant David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So, what is the, the story of Israel from Solomon's son Rehoboam forward? Well, it's the story of a divided Israel. There's northern Israel, and then there's the southern tribe of Judah, which is called Judah, and Benjamin is also with Judah. And so that's really the tribe that's given to Solomon's son and lineage. And that one tribe far outlasts the northern tribe, who are carried away by the Assyrians in 722. They last 150 years longer than, uh, than them until the Babylonians carry them away. And notice the phrase here that God tells Solomon. He says, for the sake of, of my servant David, um, you know, I'm not going to take away everything from the kingdom. That's a covenantal phrase. He's like, Solomon, I made David a promise. And for the sake of my servant David, I'm going to leave a remnant, and it's going to persist through, yeah, your son Rehoboam, even, then, even though you've been wicked, even though you've been serving false gods, even though the hearts of all of your wives have led you astray, yet for the sake of my servant David, I'm going to keep a remnant. The tribe of Judah will persist. And in fact, a Davidic king would continue to reign in Jerusalem for the next 400 years. And so it's interesting that the average dynasty, in fact, um, what, one of the longest uh, dynasties in Egypt didn't even last that long. The average dynasty would last about 100 years. Um, 
And uh, so the fact that David's dynasty lasted 400 years was pretty much unheard of in the ancient world. It, it was a remarkable thing. Now, the thing is, even though it only lasted 400 years, that doesn't mean that God's promise came to an end, right? You know, that even though uh, there was no longer a king on the throne from David's line when Jesus was born, the lineage was still there. And the promise was still there. And what God had said, it would still come to pass. Now, it's interesting that over the course of, of David's line that was in Jerusalem and they're reigning as king, you know, you especially read it through First and Second Chronicles because that, that just records the story of the southern tribe. It just records the story of David and all of his sons up to the Babylonian captivity. And what's interesting is that you read uh, about how there were many attempts by many evil people who were inspired by Satan to totally wipe out the lineage of David. In fact, there was this one really wicked woman <laughs> whose name was Atalia, and she killed all the descendants of David. She thought she had killed them all, but there was one descendant that was hidden. I, I just want to read the story to you. It's in 2 Kings 11 in, in verse 1. And it says this, When Atalia, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs. But Jehosheba, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered. And they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Atalia so that he was not killed. So he was hidden with her in the house of Yahweh. That's in the temple precincts. He was hidden in the temple precincts for six years while Atalia reigned over the land. So here we see there was a faithful aunt by the name of Jehosheba. And she knew the promise of God to David. And she was able to find an infant and hide him, the one-year-old baby, in the temple until he grew up to be seven years old. And then the faithful high priest, who was 130 years old at that time, he goes out and he gets all the faithful servants, all the faithful priests, and they bring out the king and they blow the trumpets and basically everyone sides with the true king and they turn against this queen and it's this beautiful thing. He's restored to his throne. Why? Because God always providentially was protecting his seed. God always makes good on his promises. Even when it looked like everything was falling apart, God was, was, was certain to, to say, no, the Davidic line will continue because I'm going to make good on my promise that one from the line of David will truly reign forever. And so when we get to the prophets, and for instance, the prophet Isaiah, I want to read one of uh, Isaiah's prophecies that is uh, popular during the Christmas season. Let's read it. It's in Isaiah 9, verse 6. It says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, 
The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So Isaiah is like, he's looking at the covenant God made with David, the Davidic promise, and he has this new word from the Lord, right? Unto us this child is born, unto us the son is given. And we know who this is, right? It's Jesus. Well, how does the New Testament begin? Like I said, when the Babylonians came and they basically took the last Davidic king off the throne and, and you know, they took him into exile into Babylon and they didn't return for another 70 years or so. Well, the cool thing is, is that though uh, a Davidic king didn't go back on the throne and reign, his line persisted. The genealogies persisted. They never wiped out the line of David, right? And what's interesting, in fact, is that, you know, uh, you know the only genealogy we possess uh, prior uh, to 70 AD? You know what it is? It's the genealogy in Matthew and Luke. You know, all the Jewish genealogies, they were destroyed in the temple in 70 AD. So we don't even know who else might be of the line of David today. We don't know else who would be of the line of, of the Levites. We don't know who would be of the line of, um, of uh, Zadok. Who you'd be required to know who's of the line of Zadok so they could serve as high priest. That's why even if, if uh, there were Jews who wanted, for instance, to build, rebuild a temple today, the problem is, is they wouldn't have anybody who would be able to serve in the temple because they don't know, you know who is... Uh, of the line of anything. And that's the reason why is because God providentially wanted that all destroyed, right? Because it's all been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And the only thing that matters is that we know that Jesus Christ is of the line and the tribe of David. And so that's how the New Testament begins. It begins with a genealogy. You know that in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, there's tons of genealogies. There's dozens everywhere. In fact, in the book of Genesis alone, there's more than a dozen genealogies. But in the New Testament, there's only two genealogies. Why? Because your descent according to the flesh, it, it, it doesn't matter at all once Jesus comes. Aren't you glad? All that matters now is that you find yourself in Jesus Christ. It's like what Paul says in Romans 2. He's not one who is a Jew outwardly. He is a one who is a Jew how? Inwardly. Circumcision is not that of the flesh, it's what? Of the spirit, it's of the heart. And so, once we get through Matthew 1 and Luke 3, there's no other genealogies in the New Testament. Who cares who is of the lineage of all of Jesus' brothers? Who cares of who's the lineage of Peter and Paul and all the other apostles? It doesn't matter, right? What matters is that you're part of the family of God. And so when you get to the New Testament, the first verse is this, Matthew 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, what? The son of David, the son of Abraham. You know, it's interesting, you, you would think that he might say the son of Abraham, the son of David, but he leads with David. The genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of of David. And in fact, the whole genealogy that Matthew presents is structured around David. Abraham is mentioned once in the genealogy. David's mentioned three times. In fact, Matthew breaks the genealogy into three different sections of 14 names. This is actually one reason why we know uh, a generation is 40 years. Hebrews 3 tells us a generation is 40 years. But if you take uh, 
the number of years this covers from Abraham to Jesus, and you divide it by 42, it's about 41 years. So we know a, gen a biblical generation is 40, 41 years. Um, that's why, you know, it's important to know, like, when Jesus says, assuredly, I tell you, all these things will happen. Um, you, this generation will not pass until all these things take place. We know he's saying, listen, guys, all this stuff is going to happen within 40 years. Uh, but look what he goes on to say. So he lists from Abraham all the way down to Jesus. And this is how he ends the genealogy. I'm not going to read it all to you. But he says this in verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David unto the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon unto, until the Christ are 14 generations. Now what's interesting is the name David uh, in Greek is three letters. And, you know, each letter in Greek is a number. So everybody's name is also a number. David's name, you could read it as not just David, but read it as 14. So the fact that this is, you know, split up into three groups of 14, it's, it's split up into three groups of David. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, it's also interesting uh, that... Uh, uh, you know, I have so many thoughts going on. One of my thoughts is that uh, David, uh, David reigned for 40 years, okay? But his first seven years, he did not reign in uh, Jerusalem. His next 33 years, he reigned in Jerusalem. Solomon, after him, reigned for 40 years in Jerusalem. Interestingly, Jesus, right, how old was he? 33 years old, when he, um, you know, he, he reigned on earth for 33 years in the earthly Jerusalem before he ascended in the heavenly Jerusalem where he reigns forevermore. Uh, when did that ascension happen? It happened, I'm pretty certain it happened in 33 AD. If you want to really look at chronology and stuff like that, understand that, I, I talk about that at death in the appendix to my Christmas book, if you're really interested in that. But, but what that would mean, the case is then he, he reigned for 33 more years, from 33 A.D. to 66 A.D., when then the old Jerusalem, fleshly Jerusalem, who was in bondage with her children, was destroyed. And the Roman army came in in 66 A.D. and came down to Jerusalem and began to siege it. And so I just think that's more interesting parallels with the life of David. But these 14 threes that we have going on, that's 42 generations, 42 um, is also, it, it's the gematrial value it, 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 of, of, of the term jubilee. So jubilee, the word jubilee in scripture, also is the number 42. And uh, what does that mean? It, it means that Jesus, from the time of Abraham forward, he is the jubilee Jew, right? Abraham's descendants are the Jews, right? Jesus says the 42nd, he's the jubilee Jew, <laughs> okay? And what does that mean? What is his first sermon that he preaches in Nazareth? He gets up in Luke chapter 4, and he, and he preaches the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the good news, and to preach, he says, the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of the Lord's favor, the jubilee year, which is what? It means that it is the advent of rest, of restoration, of renewed inheritance, and it is all arrived. And so here comes... Jesus, and he is the son of David, 
and he is the son of Abraham, and he's coming, and, and, and not only is he told to be the son of David in Matthew's genealogy, but in Luke's genealogy, he's also a son of David. In fact, in Matthew's genealogy, he's the son of David through his son Solomon. In Luke's genealogy, he's the son of David through David's son Nathan. And so he has two different genealogies that go back to David. One is probably through Joseph, and the other is probably through Mary. So he's got this double stamp of approval of being directly descended from King David. Okay, so let's read what um, Luke says in Luke 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Let's see uh, what Gabriel says um, about the son that she will bear. Verse 32. He will be great, and he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. That was a word that Gabriel spoke to Mary straight from the throne of heaven, right? And what does this mean? When, when Gabriel says that the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, was Gabriel lying here? No. Has Jesus been given the throne of his father David? Yes, he has been given the throne of his father David. Has, uh, will he reign over the house of Jacob forever? Yes, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. <laughs> will his kingdom have an end? No, his kingdom will not have an end. This is what Jesus has been doing for 2,000 years. He has been ruling and reigning. In fact, when, when Gabriel says this, the last time we, we met Gabriel in Scripture was in the book of Daniel. And you know what was, he was doing in the book of Daniel? He was declaring these very same truths that the seed of David would come who would inherit an everlasting kingdom. In fact, in Daniel chapter 7, this is something I've been sharing with you guys throughout the year. You know how Jesus said, from this time forward, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds? And he's quoting from Daniel chapter 7. Well, you know, right after that, where it says that he comes on the clouds to the Ancient of Days, it's, we're told that he's given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is one which shall never be destroyed. So Gabriel had already given the very similar message. And he's saying, yeah, that message that I gave to Daniel, this is the message that is going to be fulfilled in the child that is in your womb, Mary, in Jesus. You know, another interesting thing about the fact that Jesus is, is, is born of David here and that he's a king, right? You know, think about it. He, he, Gabriel comes from heaven and he's speaking this word to a virgin who is of a lowly estate, right? She's not like she's a queen. It's not like she's a princess. You know, most kings who reign, they're born of kings, right? <laughs> they're born of kings. Um, and, you know, David, interestingly, he wasn't born of a king. Even though he was the second king of Israel's history, 
He wasn't the son of Saul. Who was he the son of? He was the son of Jesse. And what was he when he was, um, when the prophet um, Samuel came to Bethlehem? He was a shepherd, right? In fact, he was overlooked. There were eight sons of Jesse. He was either the seventh or the eighth son, uh, depending on how you understand the, the uh, genealogical record in First Chronicles. I think he was the eighth son, the son of the new creation. And Samuel comes and he anoints him. And, but before he anoints him, remember what he has to ask Jesse? Don't you have any other sons? Because God is telling me that none of your seven sons here are supposed to be anointed as king. And he says, yeah, I got one other son. Apparently he doesn't like David very much. I don't know why he didn't bring him there. You know, maybe there was some shame involved with David. I don't know. David says in sin he was conceived. Maybe his, we might think of there was some scandalous thing with his birth even, you know. Not just how everyone is born of sin, but maybe he was born as a result of adultery or something like that. I don't know. But he's kept in the, the, the sheepfold and they come and... He's the king. Well, in an interesting way, Jesus is born where? Same place David was born, right? Bethlehem, the city of David. And, you know, he's not a shepherd, but what is he? He's, he's a carpenter, right? And, um, you know, we'll see uh, the reason he's a carpenter is because he's the one who will build uh, the house uh, for God. Let's read Matthew 1, verse 20. So this is after Gabriel tells um, Mary that she will bear the son of David and fulfill the covenant God made with David. So she tells um, Joseph, and Joseph, or Joseph hears about it, or she, she tells him we're not told. And then, you know, Joseph, he is thinking about, you know, possibly breaking off their, their wedding engagement, right? Uh, but look what it says in Matthew 1, verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. Right? He just doesn't say Joseph. <laughs> he calls him son of David. How would you like to be called, you know, by the, you know, whatever your name is, son of some thousand-year-old ancestor, right? Well, there's something significant to why he's saying that, right? Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary to take to you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And, uh, and so here we see throughout Luke, we see it throughout Matthew, is this theme uh, that Jesus as the son of David is very important. In fact, one of the primary reasons that God wanted Joseph to marry uh, Mary, to marry Mary, is because Joseph would be the legal father of Jesus, and thus he would have the lineage uh, of David, as well as probably the lineage straight through Mary as well, as Luke's genealogy records through David's son, Nathan. Okay, so what's interesting is that I want to look at now, uh, for the, the rest of the evening here, I want to look at the accounts in just the Gospel of Matthew, where the theme of the son of David comes up. Okay? And the first time we see the son of David come up is in Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. It says this, When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, 
crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. So who's the first people to recognize Jesus as the Son of David in the Gospel? Blind people. The first two people to recognize that Jesus is the Son of David are two blind people. And, um, you know, when, when, um, what's interesting about this is the disciples themselves, and many times, you know, as we read through the Gospels, they're blind to who Jesus is, right? The crowds, many times, are blind to who Jesus is. The Pharisees especially, they're blind to Jesus. They fail to see who his identity truly is. But here we see a blind people who can't see Jesus, and they see who he is. It'll be interesting, you know who else we, we will see who, who sees who Jesus is as the son of David? You know who it is later? It's more blind men. <laughs> and then it's a Canaanite woman, right? Um, and it's the most unlikely of people. And it's like, I think what this shows us is that what people thought the son of David would look like was not what it looked like. And... Physical sight, you know, Jesus comes to heal our sight. Uh, to give us both, not just physical sight, but spiritual insight in, into who he is. So, for instance, when, when Jesus is on trial before the Sanhedrin in Matthew 26, and when he says in verse 64, from this time forward, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds, what is he talking about? Is he talking about spiritual sight? That from that moment forward, they would see Jesus coming on the clouds to the Ancient of Days? No, he's not talking about that, obviously. Otherwise, he wouldn't have used that language. He's saying, from this time forward, you will see in the sense of what? Perceiving it. You will understand, you will have spiritual insight to this truth. And that's what Jesus is wanting with all these things. He's wanting to take the blinders off of people so that people can begin to perceive him, spiritually perceive him as the Davidic king who is currently reigning in heaven right now, who has come to the Ancient of Days, who has received an everlasting kingdom. And when people perceive that, guess what, guess what there will be? There will be healing, right? Son of David, have mercy on me, the blind men cry, and what does he do? He has mercy on them. You know, when people have a revelation that Jesus is the son of David, who is currently reigning right now, and they cry out to him in faith like the blind men, have mercy on me, guess what? They can begin to see God's mercy in their own life. Amen? You know, it's interesting. Uh, the next time in Matthew... We, we see this, is in Matthew 12, the, the phrase, um, son of David. Matthew 12, verse 22, it says this, Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind, and mute, and he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? So first we have two blind men, who say, Son of David, have mercy on me. And now, maybe, uh, maybe some other people are getting some spiritual perception too. They see him cast out demons and heal this blind and mute man. Could this be the Son of David? Why would they say that when he's casting out demons and healing a blind 
and mute man. Why would they say, in response to that, could this be the son of David? Well, I think it's interesting, as I was studying this, that you know when the last time was in the scriptures when someone is healed of evil spirits? You know what it was? It was with David. You remember the story of David, whose evil spirits he was driving away? Saul, remember? And this is the last time we see someone driving away evil spirits, and it's David. So I think they're making that connection. They see Jesus driving away evil spirits. Look what it says in 1 Samuel 16, verse 18. So David, I mean Saul, King Saul, he's distressed with the evil spirits, all that stuff. So then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Verse 23. So they bring him, Saul says, get him. They bring him into the courts. And so it was, whenever the spirit from God was upon Saul, this is the evil spirit, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would what? Would depart from him. So here we see King David driving away evil spirits. How? Through his worship music. This is, I think, one reason why Psalm 144 says, says, Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. And, I, you know, the Psalms are all, all about the power of worship. And I think when the psalmist is saying, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle, I think he's talking about his, instrument, his instrumental song playing, right? And that's what, what, what David was doing. His, his hands were prepared for war, and his fingers were prepared for battle, and he was driving away an evil spirit. Well, it's interesting. You know what uh, is the response to this crowd marveling and saying, could this be the son of David, in terms of Jesus driving away an evil spirit? You know who says no? The Pharisees. They come around and say, no, it's not it's not by the Spirit of God he's driving away. It's by the, the, the devil, by Beelzebub, he drives away these demons. The Lord of, of, of the fly dump, of the trash dump. This is how he has his powers. <laughs> and you know, Jesus' response is that no, he drives them away by the finger of God. By the finger of God. This is a picture not only of the finger of God at work in uh, the story of Moses and, and the plagues, but I think you could even say, who, who, who causes my fingers to battle, right there, Psalm 40, 144, in reference to David as well. He's saying, no, I am the son of David. These people have a right perception of who I am, and there's more clarity. People are getting to understand, yeah, that baby who was born in a stable in, in you know, the little tiny town of Bethlehem, where no important people were born? Yeah, that's where the king was born. Yeah, that's where the man of the line of David was born. That's me. Well, what's the next time we see the son of David come up? It's in Matthew 15, verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, so this is in the far north. It's right on you know, the Mediterranean. He, he's, he's near the, the Gentile lands here in the people groups. 
Verse 22, And behold, a woman of Canaan. So a non-Israelite. The Canaanites were what? The chief enemies of Israel. A woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying the same thing the blind men said. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And, and, you know, if you guys remember this story, Jesus uh, pushes back with her, right? He says, I don't give the children's bread to the dogs. And I think he's provoking her, right? He, he, what he's doing is he's wanting to see how great a face she has. And what does she do? Even the dogs eat the crumbs that, that fall from the master's table, right? And, and he says, I have not seen such great faith even in all of Israel. You know, think about the woman who is described as having the greatest faith in the New Testament was someone who perceived he was what? The son of David. Have mercy on me, O son of David. When we recognize who Jesus is as the son of David, what does that mean? We recognize that to him has been given all authority, all power, that he reigns over all things seen and unseen, that nothing is impossible with him. And when you understand who Jesus is in his role as the son of David, it's like you can come to him like the Canaanite woman for anything. And what happens? Her daughter is healed, right? She got some crumbs that fell from the master's table. She said, I'll be a dog, just give me some crumbs. And God worked with that. Let's look at a couple more verses. The next time the son of David comes up in Matthew is in Matthew 20, verse 29. Now as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him, and behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. More blind men, right? Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Now it's interesting because this is in Jericho, and they're, they're making their way to Jerusalem. It's about a, a day's journey. And they're getting ready to go into Jerusalem. Right after this, the next chapter is the story of the triumphal entry. And what are they doing in the triumphal entry? They're saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Many of the crowd, the great crowds that is following him at this time, you know, this is the same sort of, I, I think this is the same period as well that Jesus meets Zacchaeus in Luke. 19 or 18, and, and he's coming to the triumphal entry there as well. And, and you know how there were great crowds surrounding Jesus in Jericho, so Zacchaeus had to get up on a tree because he was short and, and see him. And, and so who, 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 who really draws Jesus' attention in Jericho? It's the blind men who understand he's the son of David, and it's the little short tax collector who everyone despises who's up hanging out on a tree. And what's interesting, again, is that the crowds also think he's the son of David. 
but they have a wrong perception of the kind of son of David that he was supposed to be. So for instance, right before this story in Matthew, John and James asked Jesus, or their mom asked Jesus for them, <laughs> and she says, Jesus, can my son sit at your right and your left hand in your kingdom? And, um, you know, they think that he's getting ready to walk into Jerusalem to drive out all the Romans, to drive out all the wicked priests and all the wicked Pharisees and everyone else, and they're going to begin to reign in Jerusalem, right? This is what they're expecting. And Jesus, he has to rebuke them, and he has to give them a, a new perception of what his kingdom would be like. He has to get them to see. They're blind. And once again, who is it who really sees how he's going to reign? It, it's the blind men again. Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. And everyone is rebuking them. Be quiet, be quiet. Well, Jesus, he needs to go to Jerusalem, and this is how he's going to reign. But Jesus says, no, my reign is going to be attentive to these blind men on the side of the road, right? My reign is going to be attentive to that, that wicked tax collector up there in the tree, right? He, he's trying to get them to perceive how his reign and how his kingdom really is because they didn't quite understand it yet. The blind were always getting it, but not the people who could see. Or, you know, they were the, really the blind ones. Okay. Um, I mentioned, uh, you know, they cry out, Hosanna to the Son of David. That's in Matthew 21, verse 9. Let's go forward to Matthew 22, verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. And they're right. But Jesus, he knows they're blind, because they don't think he's the son of David. So he pushes them on this point. And he says this, Verse 43, he said to them, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, Yahweh, the Lord, all caps, said to my Lord, David is speaking here, Yahweh said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is, it, how is he his son? Now, there is an answer to this, right? He's just trying to get them to perceive just how glorious the son of David was. As the angel Gabriel said to Mary, what? He's not just the son of David, he's what? He's the son of the highest. He is truly God, and he is truly man. In the words of John, he is the Word who was God and who was with God, the eternal Word who spoke everything into existence. He is the Word who is made flesh and dwelt among us. The one who became man in the line of David through Mary and Joseph, right, is the one who is the very Lord of David. God became came in the DNA of David's lineage, and yet he was still God. So he is his Lord. So he gives them this riddle of Psalm 110, and they can't answer it, because they don't have a high view of who this Jesus is. He, he's not just the son of David. He is also David's Lord. And that's how he will rule forever and ever. Now, I want to conclude with, with two verses. One of them we looked at 
when we were going through 2 Timothy here a few weeks ago. It says this in 2 Timothy 2, verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ, of the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel. You know, Paul is constantly inspired to write. In fact, he opens his letter to the Romans in Romans 1.3. He says that he was of the seed of David according to the flesh. Okay? And he's constantly wanting people to understand that God is someone who keeps his promises. And that when God promised to David a thousand years earlier that his seed would have an everlasting throne, that God has kept this promise. And that we can look at that promise that for us is 3,000 years ago, and we can say, wow, we saw how God kept that promise, and that son of David has been ruling for 2,000 years. He's ruling right now. And so we can go through the Christmas season, and we can say, thank you, Jesus. You were born as the seed of David, as the son of David, as the king of kings, as the Lord of lords, I thank you that you uh, rose from the dead according to the gospel and that you reign forever. In fact, Revelation, it begins um, where, where Jesus says that he, uh, in the first vision in Revelation chapter 1, um, he says, I hold, uh, well, what does he say? He, he mentions David, something there about David. I can't remember the exact verse. I think it's verse 16. I can't remember exactly what he says. But he, he begins Revelation talking about how he is the seed of David, and he ends Revelation by talking about how he's the seed of David. And in Revelation twenty two sixteen he says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star, right? Stars in the Bible signify rulers. Jesus is the bright and morning star. He's the greatest ruler. He's the everlasting ruler. He's the root and the offspring of David. And he has brought in an everlasting kingdom. And that's primarily what the book of Revelation is all about. It's about the full ushering in of the kingdom of Christ Jesus and his reign through his people uh, you and me, his bride, the church. And so, you know, as we go through the Christmas season, you know, let's be reminded that the greatest gift that God gave, the gift of his son, right, is the gift of Jesus, who is the King of kings, who is the Lord of lords. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder and His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over His kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. And it is the zeal of the Lord of hosts who will perform this. Heavenly Father, we just thank You that Jesus is the King and Lord of our life. We thank you, Lord, that you have made good on your promise. We thank you, Jesus, that you testified many, many times that you are the root and the offspring of David. 
We thank you that you said before the Sanhedrin that from that time forward we would see the Son of Man coming on the clouds to the Ancient of Days to receive that everlasting kingdom. So Lord, may we be like those who have spiritual insight, Lord, who, who are eyes of our hearts are constantly open to your your rule and to your reign, Lord, that we would be people who fall on our faces, who fall on our knees, Lord, that we would be like the Canaanite woman, that we would have great faith, that we would say, Son of David, have mercy on me, that we would come to you in our time of need, that we would be persistent, Lord, and that we would see your rule and your reign over every area of our life, Lord. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen?